Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Very excited to sit down today with one of my great mates, Bob Murphy. Uh, Bob has a show called Bob, which is on uh, Foxdale, Fox Footy. Um, uh, if you don't have Fox, then, um, you know, I don't know, you can probably illegally download it somewhere. I probably shouldn't encourage people to do that. But it's called Bob. Uh, he interviews people. We start by talking about his interviewing technique. We have a brilliant chat. This is not autobiographical because he wrote a brilliant book. And that's basically about his life story. So if you want to know Bob's life story, go and read his book. Uh, but I loved having this chat with Bob and I hope you like it too. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, there's some really ripping episodes coming up next week. Clementine Ford, uh, an amazing interview. Uh, we referenced that a little bit in this one and, uh, the week after Wayne Schwoss, uh, which is a real ripper as well. So, uh, look out for those, uh, philosophy, uh, uh, plug it online. Uh, you can tweet about it. You can, uh, uh hit us up on uh, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. Um, and, uh, Oh, I've got shows in Darwin. So, um, they are currently on sale for the Darwin festival. I'm doing my will legal show. So uh, you can buy tickets to that if you're in Darwin. Talk to you soon. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and uh, very excited to have our guest here today. Uh, this is how the podcast starts. I ask the guests who they are. Who are you? Oh, I'm Bob Murphy. Is that, do you want more than that? <laughs> would you like? Would you, do you want to look into my soul or do you just want the detail? Do you just want the, the garden variety details or do you want a bit more? Well, I mean, uh, the whole purpose of the podcast is to look into your soul. I mean, I guess you could just launch into it. We could look straight into your soul and I wouldn't have to ask another question for the whole, the whole podcast. What, what would you, when somebody asks you who you are normally, what do you say? I, I, no one ever asks me that. What if someone asks you on a form? You're traveling overseas oh, and they I, say, what do you do? What do I do? What do you do now? I, I, I do this. I go, oh, this is, and I can hear my wife laughing yeah. going, what do you, what, 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 do, you what do? do you do? <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> I just made peace with, okay, I'll write football or athlete. And now it's kind of like, oh, I don't know. I suppose media. I suppose it would just be a, I wish I could say a journalist, but I write a, I write a, a column writer. It depends how pretentious I'm feeling. Let's go with that. I'm feeling pretentious today. Writer. Well, not just writer, you know, interviewer. Like you have, I mean, the reason we're speaking on this uh, specific occasion is that you yourself have an interview program. Yes. Uh, it's called Bob. Yeah. Uh, people can Helen watch it. If, oh, is that what, is that what? You were going to call it Glenelg. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you know what? It was either that just or Level, ha- about- Hannah. Settled <laughs> 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 on Bob. You, you were like, I don't actually mind what it's called. <laughs> As long as, as long it's as a palindrome. It, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And they said, well, what about your name? And he goes, well, you have to, if you is have it? to. Oh, yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a dad as well. Oh, could have been that. Oh, good dad? Call it dad? <laughs> mom? Oh, I don't know why I went with mom. Because in my head, I was like, oh, mom is a pal- palindrome. And I've now realized mom is also a palindrome. <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh, sadly, I was with you. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, uh, it's interesting, even the name Bob, because when you first were a footballer, you used to be a footballer. Yeah. Some people will know that. I guess some people won't know that. I have people who listen to this podcast from overseas who will have no idea who you are. Yep. They, they quite like that 
you know, is the feedback I tend to get. I'm, is like, I'm trying to win them over today. Okay. Well, there's so many things that we can talk about, um, but let's start with name, seeing that yep. the name of your show is Bob. Yeah. And um, it, it's probably chosen because it's your name as much as it's chosen because it's a palindrome. <laughs> and uh, I, I've always loved the idea of the people who have had the the title, uh, yep. the, the title that has their name in it, right? <laughs> so all my stand-up shows have my name in them. They're yep. puns on my name, but I've never had a TV show. It's not like, you know, the Gruen transfer with Will Anderson or Will Anderson's, you know, glass house or something like yep. that. I've never, Rove, you know, had the Rove show. You've got the late show with Stephen Cole. There, you know, you've got Letterman, you've got these sort of things. Seinfeld, you've got Bob. Was there much debate about putting your name in the title of your show? It was about as well from my end. Mm. It was about as about as rehearsed as a hiccup. (laughs) So this is, and this has been a bit of a pattern of of the things I've done. That I sort of get asked to do something, go yeah, just instinctively, yep, let's do that. And that, and the TV show was one of those moments of. We've got this idea for a show where you interview people who aren't in football necessarily, but would talk to them about football and life and their attack. And, I, and instinctively go, that's a great idea. I want to do that. And they say, we're going to call the show Bob. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. That's great. And then it wasn't that, but that's in the summer months. Cause you know, the show that's, it's six months away. That'll, that will never, in my thinking, oh, that will never arrive. Yeah. I'd love, that's a great idea. I'd love to do that. I'll have a go at that. And then it can, when it comes around to the actual thing, it's like, Oh, it's called Bob, and that's going to be on TV, and it's going to, and people go, "You're a bit of a wanker," like, <laughs> and I sort of think, eh, "Okay, <laughs> wasn't necessarily thought through all that much." Maybe if I had my time again, would I have called it Bob? Maybe not, <laughs> but you know, it's there. Uh, so you interview people on this yep. show. Yes. Did you think much about how you would interview them? Um, well, yeah, I thought a lot about it, and I I do like that format. So I've watched a lot of shows and I like podcasts and I subscribe to this one. Do I have to pay for this one if I, if I'm on it? No, but you don't have to pay for it normally. Yeah, you right. say you subscribe to it. Yeah, I, I, I noticed people often choose language in very distinct ways. <laughs> and previous to this podcast, is start, the podcast starting, you said, it's okay, mate. I subscribe to the podcast. And what I realized that in that was an implicit, bought it. no, subscribe means that you download it but subscribe oh, right. doesn't even mean you listen to it oh, right. subscribe just means <laughs> that you've got it in the same way as i can buy a book at an airport bookshop and i can put it in my house doesn't mean i've read the book i just bought the book <laughs> well that's true well i thought okay so i'll downgrade myself a little bit but i yeah. have anyway so i'm gonna i'm in I'm okay on, i'm on board but so yes. i so i interviewing technique. interviewing technique and so once Okay, I'm just going to have a go at this, but there's there's very few people who have who do this. You do it, but there's it's a, it's a pretty small field, and everyone you talk to, what's the what's the key to interviewing someone? And everyone would say, well, you, yeah, to listen. It's like, yeah, okay, let's take that as a given. I'm going to put that down. You got to listen to the answer. But essentially, there's a lot to be said, and I'm be keen to hear your thoughts. But is just learning on the go. Because you have it, you're trying to create a normal situation of a a warm conversation. Because I don't go in as a journalist in my on my TV show. It's more of a partnership of I'll meet you halfway. Let's talk about something and let's see where it goes. And the buzz for me is when it takes a right turn. I'm sure that's the same for you. When it when you start to go off the script, there's a roadmap and you do the preparation and you do the research and you ask people a 
about that person to find little details and so you get some little nuance in there. But you are hoping for that little spark of when it sort of just goes off. And when you forget you're making a TV show, that's the best bit. That's when it's that's when it feels that's the buzz for me. So like, oh, you kind of chase that feeling of oh, we're getting something original here or something insightful. But but a lot of the time, especially the first doing the first show or the first couple of shows, you're talking, talking, and it's like a like a duck along the water where I'm sort of like yeah, looking and nodding and listening, and underneath going, what do I ask next? What do I ask next? Can, and it's paddling furiously, but having done enough of them now, I'm sort of not nervous about it. And I just, I just really enjoy it and kind of in, in a bit of a rhythm with it. I like to create something together with the other person. And I think listening is, it, I mean, it's what the first thing that people say, but it is the most important thing, right? You can't create something with someone else if you're not listening. Yep. And you know, it's like dancing, you know, you have to, be moving in the same direction yep. as they're moving yes. or it doesn't work. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're getting all the dance moves right if you're not doing it in tune with the person That's that right. you're dancing there's, with. There's nothing quite, and this has happened to me many times, you know, because there's, you know, when you when you play football, you know, you have to be interviewed by the footy record or the one of the newspapers. <laughs> there's nothing quite as sort of devastating as they ask you a question and you, trying to, I'm trying to give them a bit of insight and, and you just see them look down to their next question <laughs> of like... <laughs> no, they, it's like they've got the glasses with the eyeballs, like they're asleep. They're not even, not even listening. I got myself in trouble in an episode that uh, I've just recorded previously to us sitting down to record this, but it'll actually come out chronologically after your okay. episode. Like uh, because, yes. <laughs> but uh, so I'm sort of forward selling, but I sat down with Clementine Ford, who's a brilliant uh, author and feminist, and um, I actually, my interviewing technique got me in trouble with her because normally my entire technique is we start talking and then I listen to what the person says and there's something interesting in what they say. And then I just spark off that and we go yep. into the next thing. That's my entire interviewing technique. Yep. And in every one of her answers, she would say eight interesting things. And my brain, I described it to her afterwards. I had so much trouble formulating questions. And the reason I had so much trouble formulating questions was the, the way my brain works is normally that one you know, great thing that you say in each answer just sits there and then the door opens when you stop talking yeah. and that idea just walks through the door yeah. and that's the question. Yeah. But there would be eight of them and they would all charge for that one door and then they would just get jammed in the door together. So if you could keep all your answers to one simple idea during this interview, that would be great. I think, I think you know what you're getting to. <laughs> No, I said if you could raise the bar to one idea and okay, okay. Well, I can certainly help you with with uh, less less sparking interest balls. Uh, what are you hoping that you will have at the end of an interview? Like when you, if you're not necessarily going into something, you know, going. But what do you hope by the end of it you've achieved? Um, what do I hope that I've achieved? Almost as if they've surprised themselves by that the the conversation and the mood and the partnership has that they've been wanting to say something or they're wanting to get somewhere and you've been able to navigate your way through it and you've gone off the off the roadmap and I, I it's more of a feeling I'm I'm a gut feel person and it's just a feeling of 
because I'm all for the warm conversation, but that's that's necessarily fluffy. That there's some that there's some originality to it and some some gumption to it. What do you like to talk to people about if you just if, say you know instead of us having this recording today in mm. a you know in a radio studio with you know someone else here you know like you know, the listeners can't hear Mike looking on but he's he's there over the other side of the desk oh. making sure this is all Hello. recorded. If this wasn't, um, you know, in a radio studio, if this was, you know, over a beer or a coffee in the corner of a cafe or yep. the back of a pub or, you know, a party, you know, uh, somewhere and we'd just found a little corner and we were sitting on a couple of chairs in the corner and we were just yep. having a late night conversation. For you, what uh, most often would that conversation end up leading to? Uh, it would be, if I was chatting with you. Yeah, we can start with me. Sure. Yeah, if 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 we if we were just chatting, and we are just chatting, but if we were just in a cozy corner, I, I would I would want to talk to you about. I'm fascinated by performance. So anyone who has some sort of performance aspect to what they do in their their method or their thinking, but I I'm sort of more interested in the two minutes before. So if you if I was talking to you about stand up, and I think stand up is such a fascinating psychology, I. I want to know about the five minutes before you go on stage or that that moment you walk on stage, that little builder. Because football for me, people, you ask 99% of footballers, what's the best? What's, what was the best thing about playing? They go, oh, the five minutes after a win. A bit like the listening to the answer. Let's take that as a given. But that's a lazy answer. Yeah, that's the, the euphoria and the fun and the... But there's not a lot of mystery there. You can kind of imagine what's everyone's won something or, you know, felt that. I always thought the most interesting part of playing and the, the pure bit, the bit that I miss now is the, the, the minute before the game. So the minute before the game, both sides are on the field and they come in for that tight huddle and the captain talks. That for me, I thought was the most pure part of it because it was... There's a an extreme sense of f- doubt, but also camaraderie. So you're kind of walking this high wire of doubt and faith. And then you pull each other close and you hang on to each other and you listen to the words and you are all in it together. And it is you versus them. It's very raw and basic. But I, I love that bit. And I think it's more interesting. So when I talk to someone who, who I know, so you're a comedian, but it's a... Sp- this is sort of the heart of the show that I'm doing, whether it's Julia Gillard, the minutes before going into question time, whether it's Tex Perkins before walking on stage to be a rock star, whether it's Adam Gilchrist before a cricket match. It's it's often the same kind of answer, but it's it's always just a slight different shade. And I love, that's the buzz for me. I love that. I'm very interested in a few things you've said there. Like... Firstly, because you are like, I mean, being a professional sports person is being a performer, Mm. but it's not like being a performer in the way that I am a performer, which is, I mean, stand up in itself is very solitary. So, you know, the idea of what I do beforehand is normally, you know, if I'm there too far before the show starts, it's just me sitting in a room by myself, you know, on my phone or just, you know. But Okay. So then I would go to the bit you went. So when you're, when you're writing. So what is it a, do you get the little bit and you're in the conversation and go, that's funny, I could use that. Or is it just sitting at the desk going, Albert, you know, the, just the work, just sitting there and just 
writing. I mean, it's all those things. Yeah. Like that's the but truth. I find, I find the truth. The truth of it is that it's not one of those things. Yeah. It's all of those things. But for me, I've mine is a. You talk about listening. For me, it's a very simple operation, which is like I am listening. So from the minute, forget me sitting out the back, or you know, you know, ducking out the back of the theater for a smoke or whatever. You know, having a beer. You know, the things that I do before. You know, the usual things, like I'm sure like you did before a big game, you have a smoke in an alleyway and you have a couple of beers. Just a settler. (laughs) Yeah. Just Just a nerve settler. (laughs) Just to get ready. (laughs) It's such a- Nothing over the top. uh, When I think of it like that, I always think, I was like, oh yeah, I'm reminded of what a weird job I have. (laughs) Is it like, what do you do before you get to work? Oh, I just have a couple of cans and- sort of relax. You know, (laughs) the theatre all provided somewhere (laughs) for me to have a dart, you know. The they, usual. Insi- they insist I do it. Yeah, then I have a couple of drinks in front of everybody yeah. while I'm working. It's ceremonial. It's fine, guys. It's fine. It's a normal job. I do it for an hour. Yeah. Give me all your money and go home. So, um, for, but for me, it is, it's a conversation. That's how I think of my job. So, uh, at, when I'm in the wings, I'm listening to how they sound in the room. Yeah. And I am a big believer that I could 95% of the time, if you ask me, you know, 15 seconds before I go on stage, how is this going to go tonight? I could pretty accurately tell you what the audience is like just from hearing them in the room before the show. Now, there are things that you can do about then adjusting yeah, yeah, how yeah. they are. Yeah. But, you know, I think in a general sense, you know, I can now just hear how an audience is yeah. from the wings beforehand. And then you have to make sure that that doesn't become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then... Uh, or that you don't over adjust, you know, that you're like, oh, they're a bit quiet and Sunday and you make yeah. that up in your mind and you go at them too hard or aggressively yeah. and, and you were wrong. You're pulling levers, yeah. you know, a bit of this, a bit of that, or making it all a recipe. But I'm not thinking about that necessarily in a way where when I say it to you, I'm saying it in a very practical yeah, yeah, out yeah. loud way. Yeah, that's Most it. of this is these, these calculations are done in my brain and I'm not really thinking about yeah, them. Yeah, that subconscious, that feel. Yes. Yep. But I, I, but I am listening. And the big thing that I say about comedy is that it's a two-way conversation. The audience don't get to don't get to say stuff, although sometimes they do. But <laughs> they shouldn't. A, they shouldn't. In a general sense, they shouldn't. But they are a very important part of it. And if you're not listening to them and what their reactions are, yep. in the same way as you can have sex with somebody, right? You know. But if you want to have really good sex with somebody, take the earplugs out. Yeah, exactly. You've got to kind of be, yeah, you know, w- working out what they like as well. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a tip you can take oh, home. Hmm. Yeah. So good luck to you and your family. <laughs> <laughs> That's inside. That's good stuff. Uh, but, uh, but to me, that's it. It's all we're all on the same team, essentially. Right. Yeah. Now you're performing when you do what you do is you're walking out in front of an audience watching what you do in the same way, but they're not all on your side. Half of them are not on your side at all, right? Sometimes all of them aren't. Well, that's right. Sometimes all of them. Yeah. Like that's like you playing in front of like, you know, 40,000 West Australians or something who all, you know, hate you. Is it like, that's the equivalent of me walking into some other comedian's show and just starting doing my show. So I know you wanted to say Hannah Gatsby, but uh, not feeling it. Get off, Anderson. Get off. <laughs> so I, I find this in sports so it, always fascinating because we just accept the view now of going, oh, um, West Coast versus the Bulldogs. Mm. Oh, well, West Coast. Yeah, it's, they're so hard to beat at home and it's too hard to win interstate. And you kind of think, hang on, we just accept this 
as a like the ground is more or less the same. It's grass, yeah. eight posts, and and it's di- why because we're affected because human beings are affected by the atmosphere. But if you talk about it like that, the football football <laughs> establishment will be like, oh, that's wishy washy. Yeah. Oh, I can't be having that. Why is it harder to win in West Australia? Um, it's just harder to do your job when 40,000 people hate you, <laughs> yeah. vocally. Any job. Is it, wasn't there a study done? I might be what, but I heard that there was a study done where they put two... <laughs> My favourite thing, by the two, way, I heard study? there yeah. was a study. Yeah. <laughs> half ass sort of scientific sort of Pretty sure I read yeah, an article I'm pretty sure said. this is in a uh, yeah. medical journal somewhere, but they had two separate plants or flowers in mm. separate rooms and one of them they so they treated them exactly the yes. same and one of them they yelled abuse at and the other one they didn't and that one wilted so i i don't know if there was so a don't study yell at me, but i'm sure there wilt. i'm sure there was a study uh i know ikea uh, you know those <laughs> fine reputable scientists uh, ikea did that as an experiment this is true they there was an ikea experiment where they literally got it was a they did a anti-bullying program in uh, one of yes. their countries okay. and the one of the ways they demonstrated the effects of bullying was that they got two plants and they got uh, a, a, one of the plants got bullied <laughs> And one didn't. And the plant that got bullied did a lot worse. There you go. Yeah. We're, so, just, we're all flowers. If you can't trust man. the scientists as I can. <laughs> uh, so firstly, you have to do your job with a large group of people not wanting you to do your job properly. Yep. Yep. But also your job involves a whole bunch of other people competing yep. against you at the time, yep. trying to, you know, to beat you in the job. Yes. That's a very unusual Mm. job. Yes. Uh, we've touched on it a little, which was the question I was going to ask anyway, but how much do you think the idea of that other people are watching you, that you are performing in front of an audience affects the way that you actually do your job? Uh, it's a good question. There's something, so it, and it changed over time because when at the start, I ran out, I remember running out for the, my first game and we were doing the warm up kicking, the very basic warm up kick. And I was, but I was so nervous and I was just sure that everyone in the state was watching me and, and that they would be like, they would reveal that I was a fraud, that I was not meant to be here, that I'd somehow, you know, bluffed my way in. And now, now I would be found out. I do remember that moment. And then, of course, after you know, you, you you play a little while, and then you start to build confidence. But there's also something with with a big crowd. The the noise is a wave. It sort of lifts, and and you can tell the mood of the state. But it's there's something also impersonal about it. That there's the oh. so the example I give to that having a set shot for goal, which is essentially putting in front of fifty thousand people. I found that easier than having a set shot in front of 10 teammates after training for a kicking competition because then I can see the eyeballs and they're people I care about and their opinion I care about and they know me probably better than I know myself and I see the little light, you know, you miss one and they see the eyebrow go up of, oh, he's got the yips. Oh, he's... That, that, that's, that was kind of more difficult, I think. I find it easier to do comedy and yeah no this is not a universal rule but you know often people talk about the idea of becoming a big room comedian going from the small rooms to the big rooms and they feel intimidated by it yeah and often what you actually say is that it gets easier in some ways because 
you know, if there's 50 people in the room and you make half of them laugh, it's 25. Yeah. And 25 people start looking at the other 25 and, and going, oh, on. hang on, yeah. why are they why are they not laughing? Maybe I'm wrong for laughing yeah. and they've got doubts. But if you've got, you know, a thousand people and half of them laugh, that's 500 people and it's still a good sound, right? I watch football sometimes and you, you're watching an afternoon game. You know, it's not full of people. You know, the, yeah, it's the MCG, but there's only 15,000 people yeah. there and it all feels a little like it's not actually a real game of football. Yeah. Like some other people have just kind of, you know, yeah, burst into the ground and are staging their own game versus, you know, a packed stadium on a Friday yeah. night under the lights. When you're out there in the middle of it, is there a really distinct difference in the way that feels? Uh Yes, it's it's a it's an unusual sort of surround stereo in your head because it's an unusual environment and it never got as much as you become comfortable in it. It's that phrase of you know get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's what it was like, and those great moments were sort of fleeting, and then it's back to chaos. Um, so it was always you'd get the ball and people would sort of say, oh, you look like you're just sort of cruising out there. But in my own thoughts, it was like sirens going, ring, 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 and the chaos of the game. And the game just by nature is very chaotic. And it's, you know, there's danger all around. And so the, it's always, you're always sort of in that fight or flight mode. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Is, is football, was AFL football Australian rules football? Um, is it your favorite game? Um, yes, but it's not the most fun. What does that mean? So I, I grew up as a kid playing basketball and basketball was fun. Uh, football, I, I wouldn't use the word fun and particularly playing AFL. There were, there was moments of euphoria and great satisfaction and it was hard, but like, that's the, the beauty of it is in how difficult it is to, um, not master, but try and get some control out of this thing that's mm. out of control and you've got 17 teammates. That's a hard... So when it... Well, I think that is the real similarity between what I do and that, which is you're attempting to master something that is unmasterable. Yeah. You will have moments. Moments. And the moments you chase. And when it when it clicks, when it falls into place, it was like... It's how I imagine meditation to be. It was that you're not thinking, you're just feeling. And all of a sudden, this ball that's oval shaped and completely unpredictable and really quite a swine most of the time of not doing what you want it, you know, doesn't do what you want it to do. All of a sudden, the rhythms of the, it's almost like the rhythms of the planet just align and you just feel, and you know it's going to happen. And you start to move off your teammates. And that's, these are only little moments. Sometimes you might get a quarter where it just, it just all, and you just see a side just, roll away and it's oh it's it's so the the sense of peace is magical and having and you know i've written things and you know interviewed people and you know i've even got up on stage at a local football club and sung a song or whatever but nothing has come close to the self-expression of when football clicked because it wasn't just you it was us and that's who we are because that's what sport can do sometimes that it can represent who you are because who you are is part of your your clan and that that was when it was that was when it was great but what the word fun is not what i would describe it as because most of the time it's it's just hard and it's 
unnerving and you kind of is anxiety around what will happen next and and all the times that you're on the other team when they've clicked and you just they've just steamrolled away but basketball the other thing is with football you get before a game and it's hard to get the ball <laughs> like you just want to play so the the child just wants to play and so and that's yeah. there's still that child in every footballer and i was very, and i was always would often check in with that little 10 year old self of what would he think of this situation what would he think it like how how much of a buzz would that 10 year old version of yourself get out of this but so you just want to play but football it's actually there is that little moment of going I, I hope i get the ball whereas basketball you you get to play now whether you win or not or play well or not that's up to other things but you get a shot Football, there's a, that little bit of, what if you don't get a shot today? That's like, that can give you a bit of a, bit of a heart start. I, the thing I liked about football over cricket, and I think it, it goes to this example, because my dad was a really fantastic cricketer. And I think it was one of the great disappointments of his life. Uh, <laughs> luckily, early on, he got used to being disappointed by me. And it's a You'd theme conditioned that, him. It's a theme that's continued. <laughs> but the lucky thing was that what didn't come as a surprise. Um, I remember them telling a story about he was playing like, you know, Vic Country or something. And I might have been like four or five. And apparently at the end of the day's play, um, you know, I, I got on one of the you know, coffins where they all keep their equipment and commanded everybody's attention in the dressing room and made them all look at me while I proceeded to do all the umpire signals. So, you know, I did like six and four and wide and all these sort of things. And dad tells the story of looking at me thinking, oh, that's great. He's going to be a cricketer, yeah. not knowing that I was just going to be a professional show off. I mean, it was, the clue was there. He yeah, just was, interpreted it in the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes clues are pretty, that's a pretty loud clue. I found cricket impossible because cricket can be over in one mistake. Unforgiving. Unforgiving. And I make mistakes all the time. Yeah. I, I perhaps have a capacity to doggedly keep trying regardless of the fact that I make mistakes. Yeah. And so I found fi- fo- football more rewarding because if I mucked one thing up, I could just yeah. run and try to make up for that thing I that I mucked up. That, that's, that speaks to me. That, that's kind of my, I think, my method of... Just say yes. If the idea sparks something of interest, go and do that TV. Write for the newspaper. Yes, that's there's something, and then and then just whittle away and make the mistakes and go. Oh, yep, okay, and then sort of bump into the. Oh, yep, okay, and but keep going. Whereas <laughs> cricket, not like that. And don't forget with cricket, organised bullying. Cricket. Oh, <laughs> this is so you go out to bat. Yeah, there's eleven of them standing around, and then there's the school teacher up the other and the umpire. He's standing there. He's sort of looking, he's looking, he's eyeballing you as well. So it's 11 v 2, but you've got one mate and he doesn't want to know about you. He's up the other end going, I've got my own problems. <laughs> you, you sort yourself don't, out. Don't bring me yeah, into this, mate. Yeah. They all go up, they appeal, oh, and then he just turns away. Yeah. Like, yep, I don't know, mate. Uh, I don't I've, know I've him. Got... <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to hit the ball as well. So you, you I'm do not with you, him, mate. You do what you've got to do. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Organised bullying cricket. I mean, it is particularly, and we. it's so funny, I always think when we're outraged by at the highest level, you know, the idea of sledging in cricket and these sort of things that they always, I was like, have you never played cricket? Like, I remember being 11 and like going out to bat. So it was into, you know, like in the local area. So, you know, where 
um, you know, country Victoria. So uh, I think it must have been, so Hayfield, who I played for, we were playing against Mafra. Yep. But a whole bunch of the guys that I went to school with played for Mafra. All right. And I went out to bat. Oh, and so my dad, you know, my dad, and they're all in the slips cordon, you know, like so close, so I can hear them, you know. And I remember just that first time of going, "Hang on, these guys are my friends. Why are they being so mean to yeah. me?" Because it was even simple things. I remember this distinctly because my dad had always taught me to call, you know, call well. So I was, I hit the ball and I said, "Wait," and then all I heard from the slips cordon was like, "Wait." And then I was like, just every time I was like, wait. And I was like, hang on, hey, I'm hey, just hey. trying to do the right thing. Why are you being so mean? You're my friends. Like and their legs are apart. They've got the cross, yeah. crossed arms, six pieces of juicy fruit. Like couldn't look any more like John Wayne if they tried. Oh, if you ever want to know what your mates think of you, play cricket against yeah, them. Nah. Can't, I don't care for cricket anymore. Uh, I like watching it. Love watching it. Uh, but could it. not play it. <laughs> no. no. Um, what's... Uh, your relationship with sports like now, having been a professional sports person, what what is you your relationship with sports like now? Do you enjoy? Are you are are you able to enjoy watching football for a start? But or are there other sports that you enjoy? You know, uh, how yeah. do you feel about professional sport? So, or sport yourself more likely. When, so when I, I played for eighteen years, and I I didn't watch that much sport. And didn't even watch that much football while I was playing because you're inside the eye of the hurricane. Um, so, and I was in, I've always been interested in other things. So I was getting a lot of a lot of football, but I didn't watch a lot of. But now that so now that I've finished, so I've been retired for eighteen months. It had, but it has almost been like falling back in love with sport again. And it's 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 taken a little bit of a, a little bit of time, but so I'm. So basketball, which I was obsessed with as a kid, played, but then at 15, just dropped it. Just dropped it cold. And I'm not even, not entirely sure why. Just stopped. Never picked it up again. Didn't watch it while I was for the last 20 years. And now all of a sudden, since I've stopped playing football, back watching it, back playing it. That's what I choose. Like if I've got an hour to kill, oh, I'll, I'll take the basketball down to the court. And so I've, I've fallen back in love with that. But but football, just just watching football again has been... It's kind of falling back in love with it a little bit too, because it kind of broke my heart at the end, and now it's a different perspective of it, and trying to sort of just get a different view of it. But I and it, it's happening, it's happening. But last my first year out, I feel was like it's like an unusual experience. It was a bit felt a bit strange. I I wonder sometimes about, and this is you know I was a. We were talking about this before we started today, but I was this tall when I was like 12, which made me very good at junior sports. I have no uh, embarrassment saying that I was a very good junior sports person because I am now the most unco, broken, like, person. Well, I also have to fess up here. So you asked me before what I would talk to you about. I lied. I wouldn't talk to you. I, I would talk to you not about the two minutes before you go on stage. I would talk to you about being a freakishly tall <laughs> junior athlete. It's one of my favorite, favorite things, favorite topics. People who shoot up before everyone else and dominate and then just have to look over their shoulder, spend those awkward teen years going, oh, here they come. Here they come. <laughs> I mean, it was like I had the front marker in the store gift or something. <laughs> 
you know, you're way out in front, but you can just hear it's people the, mowing you down. You know what? It's the worst way to lose. Like, wow, I'm winning easily. Oh, hang on. I mean, it I'm gets you gets you really used to a life of being a privileged white man. <laughs> just getting a head start above everybody else and constantly no, being mown down by people who are more great. talented. Life's great out here. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, How good's life? Hey, what do you mean you win some, you lose some? I just win. I'll, I assume I'll just get keep, I, I I'll just keep win, getting taller. I'll win I? lots, lose none. Yeah. I, I mean, I still hold, a sh- I think, well, maybe I don't anymore, but I remember about 10 years ago, somebody contacting me to tell me that I still had some under 13 shot put, like, local record. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think all underage shot put results should just be abandoned, just wiped. Because it's always you. It's always the kid who had a beard at 12 that wins it. Nah. Uh, yeah, I certainly, there was a period in my junior sporting career where I was like one of those, you sometimes see a story about some Islander kid that they want to ban from playing rugby league under 12s because he's, he's, that was Six what I was like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so... I, there was a point in my life where I had the, so guys who played around me went on to have professional sporting careers yep. and I often reflect on, cause that was something that I was like, oh yeah, I'd love to play professional sports. You know, in my life now, I'm very glad that I didn't, A, because I now know that like my body wouldn't have held up. I wouldn't have had the physique or the, the talent to be able to do those things well. Yep. Um, and I was lucky enough that I found something to do with my life that, you know, has, gave you a, yeah, yeah, gave you a buzz. And... Right. But also I found something to do with my life that isn't over in my mid thirties, if I'm lucky, right. As a professional yes. sports person. Mm. Right. Mm. And I think about that a lot, which is, that idea of going, what if the thing you were best at had an expiry date? Mm. Do you think about that? Uh, a lot. Yeah, I think, and I think partly because I played for a long time. So I had a lot, a, like a good five years of being a veteran of thinking, well, okay, well, this, this all ends at some point. And so you sort of think about a lot, but then I was have in a conversation with Martin Flanagan and he he said to me, well, footballers die twice. And that's not, and as soon as I heard that, that's not, that's not something you can unhear. That was sort of landed with quite a thud of, and that's true of athletes. That's not just footballers, but he said it in the context of footballers that when you get to the end, that part of you is done, that is over. And then there's your life. And not to compare the two, but there, there is a, that's, that is kind of how it, how it feels. And to me, to me, it almost felt like the end of childhood. Now you can look at that either way that, oh, that's, but I mean, that's a 35 year old child. It's time. You've had a, you had a good run, buddy. But there was a, there was a bit of that because of that, which I've mentioned before, the checking in with the 10 year old self, that there was some in the end without sounding kind of a bit schizophrenic about it. You're kind of doing it for that kid thing. I just want to, I want, I want to milk it as far as it can possibly go. But then at the end, you kind of stop and go, I can't do this anymore. And I don't want, I can't get to the line anymore. I've exhausted that part of my soul. You kind of leave it behind. And it is, there's a, it's tinged with that sort of sadness of, okay, that's, that's it. That's all over. Did you leave it 
And maybe you don't even know this yet, and maybe your perspective on this will change. I know that we've had, I've asked you this question, you know, publicly before, but not on this podcast. And it, you know, I, and I hate to go back to this again, cause I know it's, you know, uh, but if you look at your football career as being a TV series, you know, it didn't have the happily ever after mm. it had the somewhat satisfying for the audience. You know, it had the Sopranos ending. It had the, you know, the ending that people will talk about that, yep. you know, is legendary, you know, part of football history, you know, the fact that you had, you know, you know, become captain of this club, you know, you'd stepped in when the club had needed you so much. The club went on this remarkable run, you know, but in this season where you had this career, you know, well, this you know, season ending injury, you weren't there for, you know, the, the greatest modern moment, even though you were captain of the club, you have this you know, historic moment where the coach, you know, invites you up, you know, on stage, you know, at the MCG, you know, you get you know, the medals there, you've got your jumper on. Like, if it's a TV show, that's how you want it to end. You know, this is, now you do another series. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. should have ended there. Yeah. That's, a, that's yeah. that was the, that the, was the proper That's a classic Hollywood yeah, story. Yeah. <laughs> We go one more. Yeah, just, Ratings were up. We go one yeah, more. Just, we can squeeze out one more series. <laughs> That's so true. Very good but, but, you're, but you're a person. You're not a TV show. You're yeah. not like, this was you. Yeah. This was your life that, you know, mm. it's one of the great all-time football stories and only added to by what you personally went through mm. for everybody else but you. Yeah. Because you were the person who had to miss out. You were the person that the tragedy had to happen to for everybody else to appreciate it even more. How do you feel about that now, looking back on that? Um, how do I feel? About how do you feel that I bring it up every time? No, no, no. <laughs> nah, no, I, I get it. Like, I, I, I totally understand it. How do I feel about it now? It, it, it's, I describe it like it's a, depending on what day, it, it can look different in the light. So some days, some days it's just the, because people have a hard, a lot, or some people had a hard time understanding my description of it, that the pride and euphoria of being at the club, our club, but being a leader of that club and climbing the mountain in a 62 year drought, that the pride and euphoria were real. They were at 10 or 11 for the Spinal Tap fans, but equally the 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 pain and heartbreak of not being in my footy boots, as it were, and not having a corked thigh, not being one of the twenty two, that heartbreak was ten as well. It was it was all of that. All that I the most intense emotional experience I have ever had. Because it wasn't, you know, the birth of your children is euphoric. But it's not heartbroken. So this was it was it was ev it was just sort of all of it. Um, so I think I'll, it, I've still kind of, I just sort of live with it. And some days I feel like I've got a handle on it, but then other days it's, it's, it's raw again, but those days are less and less as it goes. When five years from now, 10 years from now, I'm asking you to speculate on something that you absolutely have no idea about, mm. but I often think that we, in the grand scheme of our lives, we learn more about who we are and what sort of person 
we want to be and what life's really about from the moments where it doesn't go right than we do from the moments where it goes perfectly. Do you think, or is there already, or do you think there will be a time where you actually think, despite everything, despite the fact that that's the thing that you work towards as a footballer, maybe I learnt more as a human being from what happened to me than no if doubt. it had all gone yeah, no doubt. right. No doubt. And I, I kind of think, I think it's given me drive and I think it, I think it's, I mean, losing's more interesting. So I, I and I'm kind of, that's what I'm, I, I would like Motto to, of the Bulldogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was written up in we're, the dressing room. So we mean interesting. <laughs> gee, we're, we're interesting. We're an inter- yeah, we're and we're back to being yeah. interesting. <laughs> straight back. I only yeah. had five weeks of not being interesting and now we're straight back to being interesting again. But, but yeah, as much as, oh God, I mean, I, I wish I was one of those 22 players, like the viscerally, you know, like I feel it, but also if I, I sort of also at the same time wonder if I had have been one of those, that's almost a level of content that is dangerous mm. for me. I think for my personality type would be dangerous of, I got the girl and got the medal then I'll just sit in a recliner mm. and eat Doritos. Like <laughs> it would be a very, very dull and uninteresting. Don't worry about the five or 10 years. If you dull all the way through. Um, so I think it's, it's, I'm kind of driven now to, okay, well, what's, what's next? What's, you know, chase, chase after something else. Do you think that there will be something in your life that will surpass your first, yeah, kind of thing that you were like, is there a chance, you know, that, I mean, the thing that I, you know, sometimes think is, you know, you've played that chapter of your life, right? I mean, I could argue, for example, that, you know, I mean, this is just the first example that comes to mind. Uh, I'm sure there are much better examples than this, but Brian Taylor is probably a much more successful football commentator and entertainer and these sort of things. Then he had a wonderful, you know, football career, but you know, you could probably argue that post his football career, he's forged something that was bigger than his football career. Now that's just in the same industry or at least kind of attached industries. But do you feel like, you know, there's something perhaps in your life, you're going forward that will surpass, you know, what's already happened? My, My answer to that is that probably not, but I hope, and that's, that's the thing that I am scared of and kind of terrified of is, and I, and I see a lot of footballers, ex-footballers who just have kind of accepted that that's, that's when they were happiest. That's when, that's what they achieved that. And they spend a lot of time just basking in, in that in looking back and, oh, it wasn't that great. And let's talk about that. And when I was happy then, and it's all, and I am fully aware that that's what, whatever I, whatever my footy career, that's probably the, you know, the, the most noteworthy thing I will ever do, but I can't live with the fact that of just accepting that. That's that to me is just abhorrent to think, Oh, just to, Oh, now and uh, sit back on that recliner again and go, Oh, what about that? Uh, 2010 NAB cup premiership? That- <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a bad example. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Not that? at but the time, it... <laughs> it wasn't. At the time, that was a rare victory for us. I celebrated hard that, that, that preseason. 
It's, like, it's a trophy. Well, I was I was cleaning out my garage just a few months ago, and and I came across and I opened. It, I was like, there it is, the, the 2010 preseason premiership medal, sort of dusty and all sort of crinkled up, and that that kind of that kind of that tells you enough of how I feel. You know, it was a great night. It was good fun. It was a wow of a time. But the medal is stashed in the garage somewhere. But I, yeah, so I just. The pursuit of oh, but what you know? What else is there? That, not to sit and look back. That doesn't. No, that that's a de- that's a utterly depressing thought for me. What uh, on a day to day basis do you plan, and what do you just? I mean, you've said you know a lot of the time it's just an idea will be suggested, and you say that sounds fun. Is there stuff that you plan also, though? Do you sit down and sort of think, you know, in a year I'd like to be doing this, or in five years I'd like to be doing this? Uh, a, a little bit, because I've I've sort of bitten off a bit more than I can chew um, post-football of saying yes to a, a lot of things. Um, and so at the moment it's more navigating of, okay, well, it's time to sort of, you know, streamline things a bit more and um, a bit more focus. So that's that's where my kind of thinking is at the moment of, okay, well, what, what do I really want to do? Where do I sort of, where where am I best suited? Because um, at the moment there's a bit of radio, there's a bit of TV and a bit of print. And it's sort of, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. That's So it's I, I, I spend a bit of time thinking along those lines of not just the what, but the who, because I do... I do like teams and and partnerships and that camaraderie. So I I think about you know what I'm sort of suited to and, and where I'll where I'll end up. What do you get from working in a team? You know that's different to you know working by yourself. Uh, I think you get and people ask people ask me about um, do I miss playing? And I I don't miss I don't miss playing. I mean, I mean, I miss moments of it. There's little parts, a little twinge of, oh, that's good. Oh, mate, you know, the good days. But I, but essentially, not really. I was, I, I, I had my time. I'm, I'm done. But I, the cause is the bit, and that's why you find people are sort of drawn back to, drawn into football clubs and, or whatever club. But for me, it was football clubs because it's this, it's the cause. That's why the jumper is special because that's the. That's the symbol of the cause, and you're all in it together. So I, I like even in whatever we're, whatever you're sort of doing, to have that. Like even like today, we're we're a team today. I, I that's how I view it. We're 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 a team today. I know going in that you know we've got I've got to give a pound of flesh. Let's let's have a let's have a real conversation. But that's a little we're a little team for for an hour or so. That's what I kind. That's my little buzz. What what is it though that you get from other members of the team because you know like one of the things that i find hardest and i think you're right by the way i think that you, every time i do one of these things you're working with somebody else of course yep. you're part of a team and i like the way that you think about that but you know i'm a solo performer stand up is a very solo thing very controllable yep. in your own way yep. you know i guess like being a a tennis player or a golfer yeah they're very individual sports yep. where your performance is pretty much reliant on yep. you and your approach and you have to work out how you're going to approach it yourself, what is best for yourself, you know? Um, and then when you work with other people and they don't do things 
the way that you do things, yep. it can be actually quite a a challenging thing to deal with. Mm. You know, it doesn't mean that you're right and they're wrong. In fact, often it's the opposite. Often they're right and you're wrong or somewhere yep. in between those two things. But they just don't do things the way that you normally do things. And that in itself, you know, just offends you on every level. <laughs> I felt like you channeled through my brain. <laughs> you knew what I was thinking. Uh, there's just there's just more options with teams. You're able to. Pa- I mean, it's as simple as you're able to pass off. And just to you're able to just keep that ball in the air, whether it's something creative or whether it is literally a ball. You're trying to that that harmony. That's that where that you're kind of chasing. That's a bit of a mystery. That's I, I like that part of it. And you like. The idea of relying on, on others. Yeah, and and having people rely on you. It's, it just, it just made, it just, it's an easier motivation that there was often, because, you know, and again, with the, with the football thing, you know, you play, it's a cold, shitty, windy day at Ballarat, and the season's sort of gone, essentially. So it's a bit of a dead rubber. And you sort of think, God, if it was just, if, it was, if I was a tennis player today... I don't know if I've got it in me. But then I think, then you sort of look across the locker room and go, but he needs me. And and, and so does he. And then you think about the thing, oh, and then think about all the people that have worn the jumper and think, well, they wouldn't phone it in. So why should you? So that, and that would, that was like, that's the petrol for me or putting the air in the tyres of, it was more meaningful. Because I think maybe if it was just up to me, maybe I was just like, ah, too cold. Too hard today. But the fact that, well, Matthew Boyd was, he's not going to think like that. And he needs me. So that uh, that was kind of a good, that's a healthy thing for me. How did you deal with the fact, uh, and it must have happened, you know, just by that example, for every Matthew Boyd or every Dale Morris, there's going to be someone on the other end of the spectrum. Yep. I'm assuming you're not the one who's furthest on the other end of the spectrum or you wouldn't have had the career that you've had. So there's always going to be somebody who isn't doing that same amount of work or that same amount of preparation or is just sitting there going, fuck it, it's too cold. You know what I mean? Like, it you was, know, I, I don't it, care what fucking Bob, Bob Murphy's staring at me. I don't uh, give a shit if I let yeah, him down. Fuck yeah, that guy. Yeah. He's probably got thermals on. I'm yeah. freezing. Yeah. This is bullshit. Uh, um, how did you deal with that when somebody well, else in just, your team, you know, did not have the same commitment to the team that you had? It was distracting. Yeah, it was. It was distracting. That, um, and and you become very much in tune with that when you're captain. So I was captain for the last three years, and I kept the phrase that I would use is, "We have to be all in." All in physically and emotionally because there's almost there's almost a trend at the moment to, to no it's, it's not personal so w- when you're getting your feedback and we'll put the, it's not personal so I was like who are we kidding it it, it is it, it it just is personal so you can wrestle with it and deal Could, with it couldn't be go, more personal yeah that's it's like, unless you're giving me Matthew not, Boyd's I, yeah, feedback it's, yeah. it is very personal <laughs> to me yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not yeah. ideal and it makes you uncomfortable and I get, I get that and it's exhausting. And that's eventually what made me stop playing, I think, because you just, to get to the line, to put yourself up to be judged, to put your reputation and the team's reputation on the line, that t- every time you do it, it takes something away from you. And eventually you get to the point of going, I just, I don't think I've, I've got that in me anymore. But I mean, I, 
played for a long time. So I was content with that. But that's kind of what I would ask the players. We just have to be all in. Get uncomfortable. Um, but that that thing that happens over time. So when I first started, I would be sort of before some be a, a green, naive, daydreaming kid. I'm sure some of the older players walking up the race with me some days would have been like, "Is his is his head in the game today? Is he uh, is he is he here or is he sort of you know up with the clouds?" But then you know reality kicks in and you become become a man and become a professional. And how do you balance individualism because Everybody has, like, you know, you ask about the the minutes before the game. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a, you know, there's a perception and, uh, you know, you probably have some insight into this because you've lived through probably a touch of, you know, both eras, you know, you know, where it was kind of a bit of a universal, you know, we all get revved up in this one specific way and this is how we all prepare. We have a universal way of preparing for the game. Yeah. And now it seems to be a much more sort of individually curated, you know, some people are getting, some people are bumping into the walls and some people are kind of chilling in the corner, you know, like meditating or whatever it is. Yeah. A more individual sort of way of preparing for best performance. It's been an, it's been a fascinating arc of my time. And the way I see it is that a lot of the old school style was there's a lot of white knuckling it. There's a lot of playing on fear and do this or there's trouble and fire and brimstone and all that sort of, but it was kind of, and that's not all bad, but it's not, it wasn't all good either. And I think that we would have lost a few because that just didn't speak to, and it would have burnt a few out and we probably lost a few great players because it was just like, that's not how they roll. I like having a kick, but I don't like people yelling at me all (laughs) the time. But it also was simplified. You know, that's, that's just the way things were. So you just got used to it. Whereas towards the back end and definitely certainly in my time at the Bulldogs under Luke Beveridge, he brought a different kind of masculinity that I don't think he gets the full credit for, but it is, it's a masculinity that is, he wasn't afraid to show his emotion. So he would, he would talk openly about being proud of us and would get, and would well up and get tears in his eyes, but also was hard on us and was, you know, unflinching with, honesty so uh, and i i really warm to that style but on the flip side of that also before the game in, in my last year we're warming up before a game and players have got these ginormous headphones on and it would just send me apoplectic i would just i would i would want to rip those things off their head because it to me and i had to sort of acknowledge okay well this times are, the times are a changing and i need to sort of just cool my jets a little bit but to me that was sort of like I'm sorting my thing out. It's like, no, well, the net, that's fine on the way to the game. But now that the jumpers are on, now we're just a, now we're a unit. So this is a shared experience and we're all, but as soon as, you know, the headphones go on, it's telling the world, you know, I'm not up for it. I'm doing my thing. Um, you talk about the idea of masculinity being a man. Yep. Is that, uh, where do you think men are at at the moment in a general sense? Oh. In a general sense, yeah, oh, like you know, I mean, I was think, I've been thinking about this a lot. I had a conversation in this very studio with Wayne Schwass about um, about suicide, you yeah. know, and mental health, and um, you know, like we're losing six men a day to you know to suicide in Australia, and um, it's the number one killer of men under the age of forty five, 
and in the AFL, in professional sport, we're seeing you know more recognition of the yep. the strain that it can have on people's mental health. Whether yep. that's whether that's a whether there's more of it or whether we're just getting better at being able to mm. acknowledge it and allow yeah. people to acknowledge when they're going through those things. Like you said, they probably lost some people in the old days who just walked away yep. because, you know, they were experiencing the same yep. things but dealt didn't have the in, words for it. Dealt with it in silence and yep. in private. Yeah. Or, you know, through drinking or yep. any of these other yep. ways you could yep. deal with it. Um you know, playing football, well, playing professional football in the way that you did, you know, is very identifiably male previously. Now, obviously now women's sport and particularly the AFLW and these sort of things are changing that a little, but the main game in town was men being men and people look to our athletes, our gladiators as examples of masculinity, of masculinity. So I, I, the way I view it is that we're in a state of spasm of, I think, and let's use the football thing as an example, because that, that's been my environment, but it's, it's been it's a really sharp evolution, a real sharp, a sharp change as the way I've seen it in terms of players are far more, far more emotional, sentimental, tactile, a lot more hugging, even listen to the language now that players players and coaches use with one another they talk about family and brothers and they openly share i love that they love each other and they talk about that now that is radical that is radical in the space of i mean if you think even probably as recently as as 10 years ago i suppose and i think there's been and that's why i give um you know luke beveridge i think he's a is a pivotal person in my life, but also in the culture of the game. Cause when he came in, it was, it was a stark change. And so the, the, the win we had in Sydney in 2015 round five, where we'd sort of, you know, we're just sort of written off and we'd started the year. Okay. And then we went up there and we beat Sydney in the rain and it's unexpected. And after the game, I've never seen a song sung like that before. So 312, games, whatever that it was players holding on to one another because they, they felt something they couldn't say. There's this connection and this, the world has changed. The horizon has, has, has been lifted for us. And, you know, a playing group that had been bruised because of, you know, losing seasons and this new coach has come in and given us a different way of thinking. And he believes in us. And then after, so we, we have, and we sing that song, we're holding on to one another, we're swaying. It's like a mosh pit. We're all swaying and singing this, you know, old sea shanty. And then we go into the coach's room and it takes him a couple of minutes to compose himself and doesn't say anything. And the silence is intense. And then he walks in front of us and really talking through tears and just says, I'm proud of you. And that's all he said. And I just sort of took my breath away of, that's different. And I sort of, and he's kind of had me for life, and I think he had us for life after that moment because that was that's not that was not how it was. That was now that was my experience, and that's that's essentially what you do. You're trying to make your coach proud, really. I think that's at the centre of it all. Teams and players, athletes, you're trying to prove a point, and for 
for football. I think you, that's that's it was a big part of it for me anyway. Of you trying to make your coach proud. Uh, you know, the most embarrassing thing at high school, primary school, is if you accidentally call your teacher dad <laughs> or mum. <laughs> <laughs> or mom. Is that, is that ever or mom? <laughs> Some palindrome. <laughs> Glenelg. What? Hang on. What? I don't understand this bit. <laughs> oh, you will. Um, but is there that uh, trying to please dad relationship between a coach and players? Um, is it? Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's it's changed from the school principal to now a more paternal um, relationship. But it, you know, but that's that, that was just that's my coach. But I think that you, we've seen that with, and then Damien Hardwick did that, and the Tigers had the success. And Nathan Buckley has seemed to have he's evolved in that direction as well. And so I, I just think it's, I just think that's that's shifting. I think when you were playing football, you know, it's probably hard for you to make this observation about yourself, although I'd like your insight on it, but the, you know, the way that you look at the world, the way that Bevo looks at the world was, you know, felt a bit more like the exception and perhaps in the future that maybe that won't be the case. Perhaps in the future, it'll be much more part of the, the fabric, you know, but I think that, well, is it fair to say, I won't say, is it fair to say that sometimes at least externally, that your approach to the world and your approach to football and the things that you were interested in seemed like an exception in in that world rather than the rule. Uh, yeah, pro- probably, probably, but maybe less than what you think. That I was just more inclined Good. to talk about it. Okay, yeah, I like that. So, and I think the locker room now. Th- so I, I have this thing that I think that so the football establishment made up of. Um, ex-players and ex-champions and, you know, they're, they're, they're the sort of voices of that. I think the current locker room is very different the way they think compared to the football establishment, how, how they are. So I th- I'm intrigued about how that, that, how that sort of sh- flows and shapes. Um, Certainly in the, the leaders of the, of the, of the 18 teams. What did you look for um, outside football when you were playing football to balance your life? And then when football goes away, do those things change? Do you, like, cause, because if you're looking to those things as balance and then one of the things that is balancing goes away and they become all of the things, do you then have to look for something else to rebalance? Um, not, not, much has cha- not that much has changed. So I still I, I still run for my mental health. So I think, and and um, you work with Das every day. So he's he's into his meditation, mm-hmm. and well, I I I, th- I think that I run for that. That's what I that sort of clears my head. If I sort of start to feel a bit, I'll I'll, I'll run. And that I think how that's far what, do you run? Uh, I've, if I run the dog, it's about it's a six k lap. But then I've got a mate of mine who lives around the corner and he, he's got me up running like we ran 18 Ks the other day. Now that's, that was an outrider, but that was too far. <laughs> that was just too far. But the, so that kind of hasn't changed that much. But I, the thing that is different is that the, the days now don't have a feel, whereas the days used to have a feel. That's why players, when you dissect the player cliches of 
one week at a time. They're not, they're not saying it to sort of avoid the question. That's how we're built. It's just, it's the, the year is broken up into this week, this week, this week. And Monday has a feel you saw from the day before mm. and you're looking back at the game and Tuesday has a certain feel. And then Wednesday's that little day off in the middle where you sort of have a break. And then it's the climb up to the next. So every day has a physical and emotional feel where now Tuesday and Friday feel the same. That, that And that's kind of, I'm trying to get used to that of just sort of, you're just driving along a flat road. It's one of the most interesting things when you first start doing festivals as a comedian. One of the, and this is why it's really important for people to do festivals like early on, I think, because as a performer, every night, Saturday night, right? Like you've kind of like, as in yep. like, it's the show. Yeah. The show's on, right? Yeah. Everyone's here for the show. Showbiz. It's, it's Saturday night, yep. right? But for the audience, it isn't necessarily. <laughs> for the audience, it's Tuesday. Yeah. They've got to work tomorrow yeah. <laughs> or it's Wednesday. You know, you've got to get used to those different moods. It's Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So, uh, and the opposite can sometimes be the case. I had a friend of mine and uh, I won't name him, uh, but he, uh, He'd always been a stand-up comedian and he eventually ended up getting this, uh, you know, kind of a media job. And he would come to me with his complaints about the job. You know, he would have all these complaints. And after a while, I realized they weren't complaints about the specific job. They were complaints about having a job. Like, you know, they were complaints <laughs> about the fact that you yeah. had to be there on a Wednesday and that yeah. Thursday felt hard. And, that, you know, like, they, and that, yeah. like people in the office wanted to talk to you. And like, yeah. they were just genuinely just complaints about the structure of having a job. Yep. <laughs> something uh, to push up against. Right. Yeah, something to push against. Um, hey, let's have a pause because you're out of water and um, I need to go to the bathroom. Talk to me about uh, uniforms. So it it occurs to me that, and maybe I'm, again, I'm wrong, but um, that there's something about the idea of putting on a certain set of clothes that says something to you. Is that, is is that true? Is that a weird observation for me to make? That's so, that's so interesting. You should say that. So, so I miss uniforms. I do love uniform. Loved school. I loved school uniform even when I was at school, not even in retrospect. I liked it. I liked that this is this time we wear these clothes. Mm. And so that's why I, I kind of love winter. I've got, I put on winter uniform. Um, so I have, I just have the, like three different outfits that just the rotate. Yeah. The rotate. Yep. The kind of, it's comforts. That's, you know, that's your armor. That's feel comfortable. Got to represent my hipster roots. No. Yep. It, um, doing my job, I had somebody actually come and see my show, and they'd come a couple of times. They go, "Oh, you're wearing the same clothes." I was like, "Yeah, that's the clothes I wear to do my show." <laughs> like exactly, I was wearing. I put them on to go so that I know that I'm not just. Yep. It's not daytime. I have to. It, I'm doing the show now. Um, there's that. Uh, yeah, Steve Jobs sort of you know famously wore the yeah. same thing. Every day, and it yeah, one less thought. Yeah, it gives you the capacity to concentrate on other things. I, I, that's, but I get that. Yeah, that that kind of rings true for me. Um, you you talk about the inner north, the the hipster, <laughs> the hipster belt, the hipster belt. Um, what aspect of that lifestyle it was it that you know is was appealing to you originally and now? Um, 
that lifestyle, that world, perhaps is that a better world, way to yeah, put so it. That world, what what did it was it about that world that attracted well, I, I you? I think I think I think I've just got a bent towards that anyway. That mum and dad are a bit left. Um, so for Warrigal is a pretty cons. I mean, you're from the same part of the world, but Warrigal was a was pretty conservative town. I assume it still is. Um, but mum and dad would take us to Melbourne and, you know, that was, that was the big thing to go to Melbourne, but exposed us to different things and, you know, movies and because, and because I was the youngest, I was exposed to the the movies that were totally inappropriate for my old brother and sister. So I kind of was in tune with those sort of things. Do you remember what movies? Uh, things like The Commitments. So that kind, you know, that Irish and, you know, all that kind of underground, um, high fidelity that 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 sort of thing of and it just it, it did appeal to me, and so then coming down to Melbourne and sort of you know the wide eyes and then kind of find finding where do I fit in where do I where do I want to and now I get to choose where I live, and Nathan Brown and an ex teammate who was a bit older than me, he took me to the Napier pub in Fitzroy and we sat there and it was like being you know walked into this new world of you know, these sort of pub they don't they're not in Warrigal these and the people in there though they're not necessarily. <laughs> from where I was from either. And they were playing Exile on Main Street, the Rolling Stones album. And I was just sort of, oh, I like that. I hadn't, and at that stage didn't, I mean, I knew of the Rolling Stones, but I didn't have any sort of, and it was, you could almost feel life take a left turn of, okay, I think I've found my people. And then sort of, that's where I would hang out. I would hang out Fitzroy and lived in North Fitzroy for years. And that's just kind of where I, where I fit, where I am. where I feel home and does feel like home. Um, What about your tribe now outside, you know, now that football is not, you know, taking up a big part of that tribe? Yep. Who who makes up that tribe now? Who's the Ocean's Eleven, you know, in your world? (laughs) Well, I mean, I've got got three school-age kids now. And so your kind of crew becomes your neighbourhood. And one of those is an ex-teammate, Ben Harrison. He just lives around the corner. We've got kids the same age and you can't, we just kind of, it's, it's, it is, it's the sort of neighborhood gang and going to barbecues and having Halloween parties and the kids are running around. And I, I do remember it's been, it's at the, towards the end. So I was always fascinated, you know, you talk to a lot of footballers and they say, oh, I just miss the locker room banter. Just, oh, geez, if I could just go back to the banter. And so when I got towards the end and I'm, you know, I was 35 and clearly I'm nearing middle age and still playing. And I remember just, I thought I'll just sit in my locker and just, just to soak it in and, you know, to savor it a little bit. And I, I sat there and I found myself laughing to myself going, I am done with this yeah. shit. These conversations. <laughs> These conversations, <laughs> this is the same conversation. I don't care about that you've got a girlfriend on Instagram. And it's just like, it was just, I just moved into this. And yeah, I felt, you know, that shift of, I belong at a 40th or a backyard barbecue or a Halloween party where the kids are running around and, you know, I'm, I'm a dad. And I was, just, and I was, it was not, it was a nice little moment of going, it's now time for me to leave. Did you think a lot about what sort of dad you wanted to be? Um, not, not in a, not in a sort of, um, not in any real sort of conscious way. Didn't I'm going to be, I just wanted to be, I just sort of knew I would be involved in there and, um, and I, I probably mimic my own dad a fair bit. I think, I think I, I, I got lucky there that 
mum and dad, mum and dad did a pretty good job. And you, feel, you also feel them channel through you of yeah. phrases. You know, <laughs> there's just things that sort of. The kids were sick last week, and I said, "Feed a cold, starve a fever." Oh, <laughs> I just. But I, it was. It was like getting a knock on the kneecap and your leg sort of shooting. I said it before even. I didn't really say it to anyone. I just sort of. No, I, I laugh also because that... last week someone I know who's very close to me had a cold and I literally, they were like, I'm really hungry. I was like, oh, that's good. When you're cold, you're yeah, meant to eat. Feed a cold. Fever though. Starve a fever. Starve a fever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know things. if it's true. don't know if there's yeah. any scientific evidence behind it. Yeah. What What do you think is the best quality your parents gave you? Um, this will sound really kind of obvious, but I, I, it's only once you get older that you realize that some kids and their, their dads or their mum or dad, you know, they didn't, didn't hug them and didn't tell them they loved them. And they sort of said, oh, you shouldn't, no, you shouldn't do that. No, we, you, you can't do that. That was... It was the other way of, it was a house full of affection, full of love. And if anything, it was, you can do anything. And to the point where it's like, well, maybe just rein it in a little bit. But it was that thing of, and I think that's why now I am sort of not daunted by, people go, do you want to do that? And I go, yep. And then I'll work it out after that. And I'll make the mistakes in full view of everyone you know, the, the first time I interviewed anyone was for a TV show. The first thing I wrote after school went in the age newspaper. So I look back at that now, and go, <gasps> but at the, my instinct at the time is to go, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's give it a go. Uh, so how, how was like your public career on them? Because I often think of my parents and I, nothing but love for my parents and I have felt Wonderfully supported by them and often in the ways that I need supported, which is to not be supported. Yeah. Like, you know, often the best way to support me is to just let, let me let go, go about my business and not, you know, worry one way or the other about the day to day of, you know, what's yep. going on in my life. That's a very good way. We're here if you need us, yep. but we're not going to be up in your business and we're not going to be telling you one way or the other. Yeah, you know, I, I often joke that uh, my dad's come and seen my show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, yeah, I think almost every year that I've done one. So he's probably seen 21, 22 shows, and he's only once ever said anything after the show. Like, normally, he just, like, you know, says thank you or whatever, and then th that's it. What, what, what was it? What was that? I, well, actually, there's twice. I will say there's twice. Yeah, one year, it was like, do we have to be worried about the drugs? <laughs> that was one. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, even in that, I like that it was, yeah. do we have to be yeah, worried it's a, about it's the drugs? It's an open-ended, like, yeah. uh, you know what I'm... <laughs> I mean, in retrospect, probably they should have been a little more worried, but I made my way through it. Everything was fine. <laughs> and they probably had an insight that I didn't have myself. <laughs> yeah. And I blame the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, the other one was a couple of years ago when I was doing my Will Eagle show about being arrested on the plane to Wagga and... Uh, my dad uh, said, and this is my favorite thing, we we're on Bay Street in Port Melbourne. We were having lunch the next day. And after 21 years of giving me no feedback, he says, uh, I really like this year's show. It had a story I could follow, not like your usual shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to say, you know, I'm, as a, you know, as a, as a writer, he's, he's got the gift of efficiency. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very succinct. He's covered a lot of ground. Two little, two little vignettes. That covers a whole lot of ground. Um, uh, how, what's the most surprising thing to you? Oh, sorry. This is what I was going to ask you was how did, 
how how do your parents what's their relationship with you living your life in in public view um uh that's a, that's an interesting question what's their relation so uh, I'll, I, I again would... i'll give you another example of what i mean is that i stopped doing shows in sale not because i would have a problem with the shows in sale always enjoyed them got good audiences in sale but that my parents would then have to deal with Every bit of, like, I wouldn't be getting the feedback, yep. but they'd be getting all the feedback. Yep. And they didn't choose to do this for a, for a living, you yep. know. I, I stopped doing show, shows down there because I didn't need them. But And every time I get in trouble about something or I'm in the papers about something or whatever, uh, I always think of, ah, uh, it's not a pain for me. Yeah. It's a pain. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. annoyed that someone's well, going to be, like, you know, talking to my mum about this. Yeah. I think I th- I've tried to do the right thing by them. But also, you're you're far more controversial than what I am, and I. But I think the the only times I've ever sort of stirred up controversy, if I get a bit political, you know, if I've worn the Adam Goods number thirty seven jumper or written no war on my, that's that's them. So that's it's been you know our our, our views on you know on on politics and social issues are this are the same. The only the only kind of um, sort of difference there is that you know mum and dad dad was a priest mum was a nun and I'm a lapsed Catholic I don't go to church and the kids aren't baptised so that's but that's not that hasn't been a cause of any friction either that's just they respect that that choice and that's fine. Talk to me about the um, Adam Good thing. It's top of mind again at the moment because yep. you know obviously there's two documentaries that yep. are. Out or coming out at the moment around uh, Adam and you know the end of his career and yep. you know all the various issues you know that uh, and I think anyone who's seen my stand up is very aware of like what my thoughts on that were yep. but you were playing at the time what, what can you remember what it was like at the time as a player I remember it being I it sort of gr- it growing. And I remember sort of the uneasiness of that and just being like, what is going on? Enough, enough. And then the frustration, but because also, and, and I've watched one of the documentaries and because it's such a condensed version, it's, it kind of knocked me, knocked me down in terms of just how intense and because then you get to see everything. But at the time I wasn't, I wasn't reading, I, I don't read Andrew Bolt. And so I, that wasn't on my radar and I wasn't watching the footy show. So that wasn't on my radar, but also being aware of it. But then I remember there was, there was the, the, there was the one game in that I watched, I think it was in Perth and the booing was like, it was intense. And Brett Goods, you know, we shared a locker room with Adam's brother, Brett. And it was after that week that I sort of saw the, the, the toll that it was taking on Brett. And then, you know, you kind of think, my God, what, what must be happening you know, what the toll must be on Adam. And I remember writing a newspaper column about it that week. And then, but then you know, that feeling of, because thinking, oh, I've got to do something. The, and, the, and, and I think it was even Martin Flanagan again, I was having discussions with him about it. And he said, the players need to do something because it's not, it's getting worse. It's not getting, and I thought, okay. So we wrote a newspaper, I wrote a newspaper column. And then, you know, that thing, yeah, but that's not, like, 
what is that really? And it was only in the lead up to the games, like hours before the game, and Jordan Roughhead said, you know what you should do? You should win number 37 when you toss the coin. It's like, that's it. Because that felt like the right thing to do because wherever people stand with Adam, he's the master of symbolism. He he can get his point across and he says so much by these iconic images and moments and it was kind of the perfect which was Jordan's idea 100% and I just thought oh that's that's the perfect sort of um, tribute I think I often think about the game of AFL and but look professional sport to a certain degree in Australia as well you know in a country that has been so uh, terrible to the you know, the owners of the land, the people who were here before the white people rocked up, you know, um, on, you know, pretty much every level of society, you know, we have set up a system whereby, you know, life is worse for them than it would have been otherwise yeah. and that they have less opportunity. And maybe the one exception to that, yeah, you know, is the world of you know, professional sport, you know, there's probably no other industry where such a high percentage of indigenous yeah. people, are at the top of yep. the industry, yep. you know? And so it has been a great, you know, place for those people, but also, you know, you don't have to dig very deep and the Adam Goods thing shows, you know, more than anything that this isn't, we're not talking about going back to Nikki Wimmer. We're not talking about going back to the seventies or the sixties. We're talking yep. about something that has happened in our recent memory that has shown that, you know, it still can be a very, very hard place for, you know, these people who bring us so much joy and so much entertainment and have excelled, mm. you know, in doing their job, that it can still be a pretty brutal place. Yeah. Yeah. And the booing has stopped because Adam's not playing anymore, but the, that's, it's, it's, it's gurgling away, isn't it? Somewhere. Unless, unless attitudes have changed, which, you know, maybe the next conversation will be different. Uh, does it occur to you, and it certainly, I think about it a lot, is that Adam's a, a really smart guy. Um, he never would have expected what happened to him to happen to him. But I think he he, he was, um, he understands probably, I hope, that, you know, that perhaps what he's going through might be, is going through and has gone through, may, I hope, be the thing that we one day look back on and go, that was when we really decided that we had to fucking sort this shit out. I mean, he should not have had to in any way make that sacrifice and he did nothing to deserve what, you know, the the behaviour that went in his direction. Nothing. He was literally Australian of the Year, which is not something that you run for or apply for. Historical moments, I think, in time they'll become. I mean, they they already are and they felt like it at the time. You know, the war dance at the time felt, it felt so significant and powerful and kind of took, took my breath away. Um, because you knew, because by then we knew what, okay, well, this is, we're in with both feet here and this is, you know, the wave of both sides has just gotten stronger. So, you know, with time, it would be fascinating in time of, of where 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 we land with it, but you know, I'd like to walk on the sunny side of the street and hope we hope the conversation changes towards a more empathetic one. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, you know, it's I don't I don't know if it's going to be that easy, but I no. I hope it does. You, when you're a parent, you must think a lot about the state of the world. Do you do you think a lot about, or do you just um, kind of put it aside and just think, oh well, that's the state of the world and. 
Because for me, what I imagine, I'm not a parent, you know, so a lot of this is pure speculation. I imagine what I would be like as a parent. Often I think part of the reason you should have kids young is that, you know, if you have too much time to think about having kids, you won't have kids, you know, because there's plenty of good reasons to not have kids, you know, and the more time you spend thinking about why you shouldn't have kids. Was it, was the, it, was it Jerry Seinfeld? He's like, you know, having kids is great. I just can't believe it's as popular as it yeah. is. <laughs> I can't think. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some truth in that. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, I think about this idea that, you know, what world are you bringing your kids into? Is that not a thought that you, you know, um, you have? Not, wasn't at the time, but I, I had, I had kids pretty young, but it is, it's the environment and the environmental issues, they come home to roost and, and that, you know what, partly that's because they're school age and they are having it drummed into them. So these are the conversations we have at the kitchen table. It's if they bring it up, that it's their idea to get a certain kind of toilet paper because it's better for the environment. Those sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, the, the kids, the kids, the kids are teaching us, man, yeah. not quite, but, <laughs> but it is kind of that, that this is a big thing. Have in very there. uncomfortable yeah. toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Thanks kids. Yeah. I mean, good on you kids, but yeah. this is not going to make a difference. Yeah, I know it's great for the environment. Yeah. yeah. Scratchy, scratchy. Um, it's not going to solve anything, mate. It's actually a systematic problem. We have to get yeah. the major companies yeah, to stop right. polluting. Uh, we can't. Yeah, the little guy doesn't make a yeah, difference. It do- doesn't make a difference. Run off and play your yeah. Nintendo now. <laughs> oh, kids. Oh, you little ragamuffins with your recycling. So cute. Buzz off now. Yeah, good luck, mate. Yeah. We we're recycling, but you know it's all going into yeah. landfill. We, don't, we can't ship it to China anymore, yeah. and they won't let us burn it. Anyway, I don't want to dash your dreams. <laughs> Get but used yeah, to hot temperatures. Yeah, but that's 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 kind of what we talk about. That's okay. which that's not what what I was talking about with my parents at the kitchen table. This is what this is the new the new new reality. Um, we need to finish up, but uh, there's a bunch of kind of standard questions that I always ask on this yeah. podcast. I didn't even ask you if you have a philosophy. I normally ask that. Well, I I, I don't know. If we, it's I'm a, sure we've talked about heaps of things, yeah. but I don't know if it's a philosophy, but yeah. I know, but I'm also a bit down on, cause it's kind of now cool to say, oh, I don't really like, you know, um, inspirational quotes. I was like, Oh, I really like, them. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. Love them. Yeah. So, and, and, but my favorite, what's is, your favorite one? Well, I, I've got to be, I'm not, I've forgotten his name. So I'll just palm it off as mine. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. not mine. That <laughs> no, was, um, life is full of froth and bubble, but two things stand like stone. Kindness in another's troubles and courage in your own. I kind of, I think that, that kind of captures a fair bit. I've always liked that. Um, so we touched on this a little bit. Um, for for those who don't know, your mum and dad, uh, had a pretty, um, unusual, uh, backstory. Uh, they're, 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 well, a priest and a nun, right? Yep. Um, which I always think is just a great origin story, you know. Yeah, I mean, you must. Some, I mean, they're just your mum and your dad, but yeah. sometimes you've just got to go. If you're writing a book, that's a good, good way to set up a character. Yeah, yeah. You know? oh, that's, I think that. Well, I think I started a chapter in my book about the dad was a priest and mum was an nun. Just like that's, poof, no. you know, grab their attention. There's something about the unlikeliness of it that yeah, you know yeah, starts yeah. that story in a way of like none of this story should have really that's happened. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And 
And to be fair, when I was when I was little, because you know, conservative country town, I was a conservative. You know, the bowl cut hairdo and the Davenport boxer shorts. <laughs> I I was kind of a bit embarrassed about it. I didn't want people to know. I sort of didn't want that attention. And and then of course you get to a certain age where you start to do your own thinking, and and then you start to look for things that make you different. Like you hang on to that like a life raft in those teen years. And then all of, when I you know you think about it seriously and think it's a source of enormous pride of and it's kind of the central point of our family i think of the pedestal we put mum and dad's love story up on that they um that they left those religious orders and and moved to Alice springs to live in the desert which is a classic classic catholic story in itself <laughs> go go through a traumatic event it's okay god won't solace find us in here. The, <laughs> solace in the desert go to the desert the desert's got the answers what would jesus do yeah. <laughs> I mean, not literally. It just meant to ask what he'd do in a day-to-day sense, not move to the desert. Yeah. So what he did? Are. Oh, we just, yeah, we brushed over that. We mm. just paraphrased. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's... Uh, so um, the, the reason I bring that up is I, I always ask people what they think happens when we die. And you touched a little on, you know, your belief mm. system, but do you have a belief system around what you think happens when we die? Um is it something you think about? Yeah, I do. I do think about it a lot, and it's kind of been a hard thing to kind of grapple with in the last few years. Of it's changed. I, 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 I don't think there's. I don't think we go anywhere. But that I think there's some. Not in a heaven and hell. Definitely. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't rationalise that in my own thoughts. Um, and then, but then, I think oblivion. I think oblivion terrifies me so much They're like oh but uh, our, our energy goes somewhere i think i think yeah we we kind of we're around there's the energy can't just completely go we're around it's my favorite is energy and just wave your hand yeah, that, yeah, that's kind of yeah, you know, like, uh, yeah but this because the oblivion thing sort of a bit i find that a bit confronting um what do you tell your kids have they asked ask your gran <laughs> Because <laughs> I always think that's like, regardless of what you believe, once you become a parent, you can't quite sit down and have the existential conversation no. about where the goldfish went. No, that's right. You so, know. well, so my my wife, she lost her dad when she was young, when she was, uh, I think, nine years old or ten years old. And one of our kids once said to us that, and his name was Michael, and one of the kids said, "Oh, Michael turned into a bird and he flew away." And I kind of thought, oh, you know what? I kind of that's good enough for me. And that's, and that's if the kids talk about it. That's what, that's the kind of phrase. That's the kind of phrase we use because I just, I just don't want to put that on them. Um, let them, you know, they'll they'll ask questions and they'll navigate their way through that. They're they're smart kids. They they kind of get it. Um, so when you die, uh, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, what would you like people to say? You know, when they speak of you or when they think of you, what you what would you like them to think? Um, I don't know. I've never thought about that. Is that what people... Th- I don't know if people think about no. it. I just like to ask the question and see what people say. I, I don't know if I'd... As long as they smiled, as long as it was with a smile, that's fine. I could live with... Whatever they say after that, they'll have their own spin. But I, as, long as, as long as their instinct is to smile and not go... Oh, uh, oh, well, he's dead. I suppose I should say something so, nice. So the, the, the thing, 
my the, my uh, my last football theory for you is that is that everyone's a good bloke. Yeah, that's the sort of I'd say like, oh, he's a good bloke. He's good a good bloke. bloke. And I asked I asked I asked the next player once. I said, what was what was that guy like? And, and this person went, he's okay. It's like, <laughs> I remember sort of thinking, wow. He must be a real asshole. So as long as they don't go, as long as they don't take a big draw, a big breath in and go, what, what do you think of Bob Murphy's time on earth? He was okay. I was like, oh, fail, failed miserably. I've never told this story before, but you've, you've sparked it in my mind. So uh, this was probably about four years ago. And uh, I was doing an interview on, uh, well, maybe three years ago, doing an interview on uh, Nova Radio in Melbourne about uh, Gruen. And I was down the line. So I'm in a Sydney studio and I'm doing it down the line. And uh, so they don't know that the line has gone through and that I can hear the conversation they're having while the song is playing before that I'm coming on. And so in that studio is Chrissy Swan, Sam Pang and Jonathan Brown, former uh, Brisbane Lions great Jonathan Brown, big John O'Brown. (laughs) And uh, I know Pangy a little and Chrissy a little, but like neither of them so much that, you know, like, know them a little bit since, but, you know, at the time. Not in a circle. No, not in a circle. And I'd met Brownie, I think, once previously. So not, you know. So not necessarily a room where you'd be fully confident what would be being said about you if you're listening into a conversation. But I'm there and I have to listen because I need to know when they start talking to me. So excited. There's no way. (laughs) So excited. No, well, it didn't, luckily it didn't go badly. Yeah. But I remember distinctly what I heard. And I never told them that I'd heard it. But yeah. Jono's like he's just going, so uh, uh, um, uh what about this Will Anderson? You know him? And uh, you know, Peggy and uh, Chrissy are like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, uh, so is he a good bloke? <laughs> that was the question. Oh. Is he a good bloke? Now the answers were positive enough. <laughs> But I loved that it, it was, was there a when, moment you said, when you went, oh, I was like that. Mo- I almost threw the headphones down. Yeah. I was like, I don't yeah, want it. Like, yeah, uh, what I've if seen too much? I'm where does this go? Much. What if I, yeah. oh, he's okay. <laughs> 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 but it just amuses me that you say that. Cause it's like, that was what he wanted to know. <laughs> Good bloke. <laughs> That's, good, good, that's, good a, that's, that's all it was. Didn't want to know, yeah. you know, funny, yeah. you know, no, no, no. good at his job. No, nah. good bloke. Yeah. Is he a good bloke? It's a broad spectrum. Yeah. It's a broad church. There'd be a few people that I would not want to hear that answer from. <laughs> that's it. Um, uh, what do you think is your greatest strength? Oh, greatest strength. Um, I think I, I'm pretty determined to be positive. I think there's a determination to be happy. Is that a trait? Yeah. Yep. I think so. When he, when do you feel like you're your happiness? Um, I know exactly. At home, on the couch, glass of wine, dog asleep, sitting with my wife, kids asleep. Try and do it as often as I can. Talking, reading, watching something, yeah. whatever. Yep, whatever. Fire on. Any of those things. Any of those things. Yeah. Yep. What's your favorite TV show of all time? I don't normally ask that, but I just... All time. It's having a really great... I spent an hour and a half with my friend Stephen Gates uh, from Tripod the other night, 
So um, that, you know what? Of all the like, we could talk about the grand final. Yeah, should have talked death, about this for the whole the, time. No, but the, but the death and like, yeah, yeah. Like, that doesn't make me nervous. No. <laughs> you know, What's go, your favourite? Get this right. Get yeah. this, you know, that, that's the high fidelity, you know, yeah. line of it's the things you like, not what you like. Yeah. The t- the top five. Yeah. We spent an hour and a half. It was like, <laughs> it, like an hour and a half. We decided that we had to come up with our top five uh, uh, favorite TV shows of all time. Yeah. And we had to lock in five. And we spoke for an hour and a half. Like through all the, you know, selection table. This was, yeah. you know, and had, yeah, one of the most brilliant hour and a half I've had with a friend in so long. And yeah. we both managed to lock three in out of the five. <laughs> Didn't even get a whole five out of an hour and a half. Favorite TV. So I do a thing of, I do sort of separate comedy Great. and do drama. It. Answer it however you want to answer okay. it. Okay, so it would be The Office, The British, The British Office, and The Sopranos. They're kind of my two. Um, good choices. It hurt me to leave out Curb Your Enthusiasm. Both, really are, hurt me. both, uh, the both of those got great consideration in our debate. Both overlooked for selection in the what, final five. What did, what but did you uh, know? uh, what did we lock in? South Park got locked in because I yeah. think it's a, one of the few shows that you can honestly say is. Um, you know, I think if you were going to put it in a time capsule with a like a history book about each year. But you also so, yeah. wanted a like a there actual are Dead Sea Scrolls. That, yeah, you could tell what we were obsessed with yep. as a society yep. every single year by watching that show. Every and year. I think it's one of the few shows that has been going for as long as it is that gets better every time they yep. make it, which I think is extraordinary. Um, oh, there was a you know, The Sopranos was definitely in our conversation. Um, uh, what did we? Th- there was something that we both agreed on that was. Uh, um, oh, we, you know, this whole conversation started because we were talking about Deadwood. The Deadwood movie uh, is about yeah. to come out and we were talking about final chapters. Yeah. The Deadwood had a, Deadwood had a, um, Deadwood had a, uh, Bob, Bob Murphy style ending, uh, originally, <laughs> but they've decided to do a movie and right or wrong. Are, are you nervous about the movie? No, I don't mind. I'm not, you know what I am? I'm not a person who, there was a time in my life where someone could have ruined like, yeah. you know, I would, might've been one of those people that is like, you ruined my thing. Yeah. But you know what? The person, the person who made it, it's their thing yeah, and they can it. make it however yeah. they want to make it. Yeah. And if I want to stop watching it, stop yeah, watching I've, it. I've let go of the, that indie snobbery too. Yeah, exactly. Who cares? It's exhausting. You know what? The first two. Actually uh, screw it. Home and Away was my favorite TV show. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you know what? The first two Black Eyed Peas albums are still real good. <laughs> And I don't care that everything they made after that is complete hey, unlistenable back, garbage. I'm, I'm back listening to the Counting Crows. Like, no, I, I like them. Sorry, I'm not. Yeah. I won't. I won't feel bad about it. And not just the first album. Oh, not so just. Take, oh, <laughs> so, you know, come at me, haters. <laughs> I like that. I've got to a point in my life where I can love. You know, I was excited this week that Radiohead released 18 hours of like, you know, uh, OK Computer, like, you know, um, you know, kind of samples and uh, demos and all this sort of stuff, uh, B-sides and whatever. Yep. I'm as ex- But I was also excited about the fact that uh, I recently discovered the song. Now, this will just sound completely weird, but I never realized how deep the lyrics of the song Mbop by Hanson are now. <laughs> I didn't realize that Mbop was a measurement of time. Like that whole song's about in a moment it'll all be gone. 
Like, you know, so the, the song Mbop by Hanson is about keeping the people, the people who are close to you are the ones who matter and you'll meet a lot of people in your life, but who's going to be there when you're old and you've lost your hair? There's only going to be a small amount of people. And in an Mbop, which is their way of saying a measurement of time in a moment, your life is going to be over. Well, it turns out they've just done a, uh, symphony orchestra version of that song, which I watched on YouTube about three wow. times the other night. And I was like, who have I become? I can't believe I used to work on Triple J. I can't can't believe a conversation that is included, where do we go when we die, has been sort of gazumped by (laughs) Umbop. It's like this metaphor. I was like, I'm going to leave here. I'll be like Richard Ashcroft walking the streets here after we finish here thinking about Umbop. Speaking of Richard Ashcroft, because he got the rights to. Bittersweet, uh, Bittersweet Symphony. Symphony yeah. uh, Mick and Keith handed them over. Which is good news. It's great news. Uh, but that took me on a deep dive. I think this might have even been the same night. I started watching like versions of him singing Bittersweet Symphony at, uh, wow. at all these live things. There's a version with uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay. He comes out. Chris Martin introduces him as the greatest live eight. Introduces him as the greatest singer of all time. And, and he comes out and sings. Clapping his shoes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Watched that the other night. <laughs> I don't have kids, Bob. I've got a lot of spare time. If I get any YouTube wormhole, no matter oh. where I start, I always end up at Keith Richards, 1972. Oh, That's I just I just somehow end up there. Uh, okay, we have to finish up, and then we're just now we're we now we are just having that late night conversation. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so uh, what are the standards that I haven't uh, covered off so far? Oh, okay, so uh, what happens when we die? I've asked you that. Yep. How do you want to be remembered? I've asked you that. Yep. Strengths. Weakness? Did I ask you about weakness? What's your weakness? Um, probably vanity. Oh, interesting. Probably. And what's in what in what way does your vanity manifest well, itself? Well, I just sort of doing things that ever pub, you know, everything sort of all the work I do is kind of you know, there it is. Yeah, give it to the world. People what's, have to what's say that, it. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, what's that? What's mm. the line about the at the heart of any writing is vanity because there's a presumption that someone should read it. Again, these are so, as soon as you read that, I go, I really wish I had never read that. But I think there's a bit of truth there. I mean, it's it's the ultimate contradiction at the the heart of it all, which is like, I will have these quite in-depth conversations, you know, even on this podcast sometimes about, you know, the doubts I have about the validity of my opinions and the things that I have to say. But I still release podcasts. <laughs> Everybody should also follow my inner torment yeah, yeah. about my process yeah. of whether they my thoughts are valuable. should also listen to my doubts yeah. about whether I should or shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. We're brothers in arms on that one. Um, and uh, last but uh, definitely uh, not least in this regard is um, uh, I always like to uh, finish by, um, you know, I guess asking if – do you think that people have a misconception about you? Um, I think they have a misconception about that moment, not me, but that, that, um, the grand final day. I think there's some people that think, I think I'm a premiership player and they've sort of railed against it. It's like, you didn't even play. It's like that's not what that's not what it was about. I am the one who's most aware yeah, of that. Yeah. You don't need to tell me I didn't play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not only did I not mm. get to play, like I really didn't. Yeah, 
Yeah. I'm I'm most aware of that, <laughs> to be honest. How yeah. often do you think yeah, about you, it? Because you know I say, think about it heaps. You know how they say you can yeah. constantly, you can't not see your nose? Well, I can't not be a premiership player mm. every day. <sighs> Jeez, we came back to that. I thought we'd done so well. We'd wandered off into this, like, you know, wonderful space and we've come... Put um bop on. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad that we got to sit down and do it. Your TV show is called Bob. I will do the plugs at the start as well because I'm, you know, always Thank you, worried that very, people won't make it until the end. You're very kind and very generous. Uh, so, but uh, give people a, a quick uh, plug again. Who's on this season? Who like? So this will come out. You'll have done two already. But yep, so people we, can watch it on... Uh, so I'll tell you, the, I think yep. the, so the first four are Paul Kelly, Matilda's captain, Sam Kerr. Uh, then it's Jared Roughhead and then Tim Ross, Rosso. So that gives you, and that, that kind of gives you a bit of a flavor of what it, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of broad spectrum. Oh, I didn't ask you the time machine question. That's the one that I've missed out on, isn't it? Time machine. Oh. You have a time machine. Yep. You can go back to any moment of your life. Oh, any moment of my life. Any moment of your life and have it over again. Or, or just, I mean, you don't have to have it over again. Maybe you can just go and watch it happen. I've never really thought of it like that, but you don't actually have to go back and you, change your life. You could go back and just observe a moment of you your know, life. Do you know what I would, I would love just for my own kicks. Yeah. I would love to go back. So the first time I met my wife was at a year seven social, but I was a grade six kid. So I was not even meant to be at the disco, but I saw her and was like, oh my God, she's my Winnie Cooper. So I went over and sat next to her and just sort of, oh, I've got to say something. And I, I said, hello. And she turned around and said, what are you even doing here? And that was it. That was the moment. <laughs> and then it was like over. I was like, oh my God. Was that, you know, I've just, just blown it. But I, I would love to go back just to watch that and then be immediately transported back onto the couch with the dog asleep, the kids asleep, on the couch with a glass of wine and go, whoa, you really roasted me in 1994. Thanks, mate. Good on you, Will. <laughs>